everybody, Education Monsters. I'm here with Matthew again. This is our second episode together. And Matthew, if you haven't listened to the first episode, he has his bachelor's in engineering from Purdue. He's from Indiana. And he's here with me because he's learning French. Hello! It's true. It's true. It's uh, People are going to think that I'm actually an engineer when really I uh, am heavily involved in e-commerce. But I'm just, this is the thing, right? Like we tried to record an episode. We're like, oh, we'll talk about these two things. It'll be fine. And we talked about 70% of one thing. So I know. Uh, but that's the thing. People have to listen to the first episode so they know more about the story. Because my job is to introduce you on the educational part because it's it's like it's on paper and then it's your job to tell the rest. <laughs> Terrific. Okay, so we'll talk about your entrepreneur side and we'll talk about your company Leif. And this is amazing because I'm all down with all the values that you cited. But first of all, I want to introduce a new rich role for this podcast. I want to become rich so bad. And I've had this idea for a while, but I've just hesitated because should I promote gambling on this podcast? But I've actually bought a scratching game. It's called Hatchoom the Cat. And I think it's—I think it's not so bad. It's a good deed because the money goes back to the government. And also, as you may know me, I might want to win money. So right. the game can make me win ten thousand dollars. I have to scratch two symbols, and if I get those two symbols, I get money. And I also have a five-rupee coin from India. <laughs> Terrific. I—I I think that I think that this segment should also have a recurring thing where you, where the the guest, while you're scratching it off, uh, communicates their their uh, thoughts on gambling. <laughs> I think you should communicate your thoughts on addiction, on statistics, and also on how bad it is. We'll also get into that. Yes. Right. Right. It's just everybody could use a dose of number literacy. So here's the thing, right? Like I think that these scratch off things are totally great as like entertainment, um, and they're unfortunately they're like a poor tax, right? Because it preys upon people who are not as number literate, and that's like the unfortunate bit. So you are exemplifying, um, I think, how how this thing is intended to be used. <laughs> yes, definitely. Like I think I got inspired because a lot of podcast hosts might want to drink a beer or a cocktail at the beginning of the episode, and then they tell like what they're drinking and it's a little fun social thing and i'm just thinking you know what a scratching game is less money than a drink and also <laughs> more chances to win something rather than drinking I something mean, that can kill my brain cells you know law of large numbers eventually there'll be an exciting one yes okay so here's the thing while you were giving your pitch on scratching games i had time to scratch my two symbols the two symbols was a 15 as the number and i had a little paw and so <laughs> I scratched everything, and guess what? I got a 15, I got $5! Oh my gosh. Yes, oh I did! Oh my gosh, I made the money back because that thing cost me $2, and now I can redeem my $5. Wow! So, so this is actually, this should, this should be like a fun thing, actually, for number literacies. You should keep track of how much you're spending on the tickets and then how much you're winning scratching them off. And then when you find out that it's like you've won 90% of the money back, you'll have hit the expected value. I think I'll have to pray more to more gods to get more luck. It could be like beginner's luck. I don't know, because this is the first time I'm doing it. This is how it works. No, no, definitely this is not... You're not running a writing a statistical piece of noise. This is definitely you were chosen out of the universe to win five dollars. No, maybe what will I do with that five dollars? Maybe I'll just get something. Buy some local pockets. food. You should reinvest the money into your local food system. Yes. So here we are talking about local food. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Great way to change the topic. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> we're here today to talk about your initiative to bring farmers back to the scene. Yes. Very, so, very, very brave. the... So it's interesting. We, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, you you obviously being uh, originally Parisian. The local food system in the United States is different than Europe's. Uh, my, the story that I gave you is that uh, you know here we have farmers markets and air quotes right because they're kind they're kind of good sometimes. And I went to visit Lyon in France and uh, stepped out our front walk on like the first day that we were there in the morning. And uh, there's this amazing market. I said, oh man, what what great luck that we are so close to this amazing market. I didn't even know this was here. So I go to the coffee shop and I'm, I'm chatting with the, the owner and I say, the market is fantastic. And he says, which market are you talking about? I'm like, the one, the, the one in the city. It's fantastic. And he says, there are seven of them. You, this is just a thing, right? And so I realized that I thought that I was the luckiest person ever. And I actually just found the one in the neighborhood and it was better than any farmer's market I'd ever been to. And so I think... It's weird for people to think about the fact that there's so much space, there's so much land in the United States, and yet our food system is so messed up. But so in Lyon, when you were close to that one neighborhood's farmer's market, is it because yes. you just happened to come here that you didn't know about the other ones? Or is it really because you found this one so fantastic that why do I need to explore another one? I, it was literally, I like stepped out of the walk, and it was the one between me and the coffee shop and so that's the, the one i went to because it was so close and 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 that that was it right like they're just they're they're all just like that <laughs> yeah about that about the local food um i know we have like very great ingredients and very great produce in france i'm just not too sure if it's too local though because we do import a lot and then we have this huge center called the so, yes we were, we were talking about this the other day and you were saying like oh we import all of our strawberries from spain i think and after we got off the call i was like that's not far like that's not even close to far like have you seen how big the united states is that's like if i lived in ohio and i was like oh we get our apples from uh michigan which is which is literally like the same distance between spain and france I'm like that is so incredibly local like your your bar is so high that you're like oh we import so much food and i'm like you import it like 200 miles what are you talking about <laughs> good point okay i'll give you that a very good point but also i was thinking you know most of the bananas most oh of completely bananas they come bananas. from sweden yeah they come from sweden yes. they have this huge greenhouses and surprisingly yeah that's where bananas are from no that that is the thing right so to go back to the problem in the united states right so it's it's obviously much much different we have tons of farmland it all grows corn syrup basically and or or soybeans <laughs> that's the other that's the other great one yummy mm. Love me some soybeans. No, it's just you just add it to crappy processed food. It's fantastic, right? Uh, I'm not genuine about this. So growing up in Indiana, like it's just all it's all cornfields, right? Like that's it. Um, and it's just and all of it just gets hauled off to get turned into corn syrup. You put it in a coke and you're done. Except for the fact that like all of that land could feed everybody, right? So the thing that shocked me so much as I got closer to local food is actually how little land is required to feed like tons of people. Uh, like there are some like very small farms, right? There are it's like two acres includes the house and like the farmland. Uh, very small. Like that's 
in the United States, like that's if you live in the country, like everybody just kind of has about that much land. Like that's not a ton, right? It's not like a thousand acres. It feeds like a hundred people, like right? which is just absolutely bonkers, right? Like I had no idea, right? Like I, and then you start thinking about it, and you're like, man, like if I imagine this entire thing all full of tomatoes or squash or whatever the thing is, like I couldn't that I couldn't eat that in a year, right? Like and and you start to to do the math on it, and I realize like there is a big push, especially in urban areas and things for like hydroponics and all this stuff to like grow greens, which I think is like fantastic. We just like massively like weirdly over engineer food because we just we just don't remember that it grows out of the ground sometimes. I, I, I swear, right? And we've done a very good job of separating ourselves actually from how food actually grows to the degree that it's very easy to just be like, I can't imagine, right? Like what does a potato plant look like? Like I know they're in the dirt. But like, what does it actually look like? And how many potatoes can you grow? And how hard is it to turn? Spoiler alert, it's very easy potatoes, lots of them. Uh, and so as I interacted with more like local food system, I started to find out like, oh, the farmer's market, this is really cool. You must like this, dear farmer, right? The farmer's market. And they say, well, I pay 3% to the credit card company to transact. Then I pay 5% to the farmer's market for having a booth uh, on top of like my booth fee. And so they're like, my margin is 10%. So I get two now. Right. And so you realize like, oh, this is a terrible idea. So I moved to Colorado several years ago and went to the farmer's market and started talking to people. Right. Because like there's no way to figure out like where's the local food. Right. You just show up to a farmer's market, find somebody with dirt under their fingernails and ask them like, where do I And it turns out like three fourths of all the best food in the Colorado Springs Food Network is, is not at the farmer's market. They come to the farmer's market to sort of like market themselves. They start a CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture, where you pay the farmer up front and then they share the, the bounty with you uh, spread out over the season. And they, they build up a CSA and then they just leave the farmer's market because there's just like no point in them just giving 5% away for no reason, right? So as I donated time to these farms, got to know them and everything, my background, as you said, is in engineering. Uh, I moved very heavily into the e-commerce space and custom software development. And so, you know, my love for local food and understanding very heavily the technology side I realized like, man, these platforms are are not good. Like the, the only things that sort of exist for farmers in the US to try to connect to consumers cost they charge you seven percent, you know, plus three percent for credit card fees, and that's like the cheap ones. Like that's all of the margin in small farm. You have to be a huge farm that does millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? There's no place for a farmer with two acres that wants to go start a business that does, you know, a couple hundred thousand in gross revenue, and they make, you know, some pittance, but like it's it's like they can feed themselves and they also make a salary. Like that's not really an option. There's no there's no space for that. Farmers market's too expensive. Platforms are too, you know, too require you to be too big, and so we had the idea for we call LAFE, Local Agriculture Expansion Foundation. And uh, basically, I was like, I can solve this problem, right? So we went and learned how payment processing works to reduce the fees and then built an e-commerce platform and an app that basically is a calculator that takes credit cards. We get them very nice card readers that takes Bluetooth or contactless pay, right? And the short version is like we can offer to the farmer for free because we just very transparently take the cost of running the system and uh, processing the credit cards and we let the consumer pay it because on you know, a $20 order, you're talking, you know, it's it maybe a dollar, <laughs> right? So if like you and me, like, I don't care, right? Like, if you tell me like, oh, this covers like the expenses to the farmer, it's everything, it's all of the margin. And so with our platform, it allows the farmer to say like, hey, this costs $20. And the farmer just gets $20. And they don't have to do all the accounting. As it turns out, farmers are very good at growing food. They are not great at building websites. They are not uh, great at like social media and marketing. Then they're not going to like do all the math to figure out like what they need to upcharge for processing all of that. So we just massively simplified the whole thing and automated it. 
Mm-hmm. So it seems like you're taking the size of the farmer, as in even for one dollar, you could have split the thing half and half. I pay 50 cents and you pay 50 cents. So this way it's equal. And we're also maintaining this relationship as in not one has the power of the other. I've also noticed a difference in culture. So you were talking about separating the food and the source of food to consumers in yes. North America, which is the case because when you talk to a kid, they don't know where chicken comes from. They're just like, oh, yeah. the supermarket. And where does a carrot come from? The super- market so they have no clue what's going on and we'll we don't even know what a field looks like and when you take like trip fields it feels so staged so yeah. it's not at all representative of what's happening in the slaughterhouses and how we treat uh, our vegetables with so many antibiotics so many preservatives and i feel like in europe what we saw is that the market is also a place to connect like this is where we emphasize the, the social part so this is where you go gossip this is where you compare the prices you have so many colors it inspired so many artists to draw and also novelists to have i'm thinking about emile zola <laughs> who wrote about uh, le marché de paris so it, it is a place for things and events to happen you don't separate it from real life correct and- it is real life right like this is this is the other thing too is a lot of these like these tools i'm doing air quotes again for farmers they, yeah, people they can't say see you with the podcast i, I know i know <laughs> it's awful you, get, you just describe my hand motions since i do a lot of it. uh <laughs> basically like they, they come and they say like oh my gosh i have the perfect solution for this i'm gonna tell the farmer what they have to grow i'm gonna let the consumer dictate everything and then we're gonna do a delivery service and i'm like you totally miss the point of local food so this is the thing right like obviously doing this it's unsurprising that i have many friends that are farmers and so we're talking about and they're like look i'm not i'm clearly not doing this for money like this doesn't make any i'm doing it because i like eating other human beings and like knowing the people that i am like nourishing like the human connection is the only reason anybody would do this stupid job like it's it's literally just that right so it, it just that's the other thing that just burns me up is these other like tools out there they go to the consumer and they say like oh you're gonna pay for the csa and then you can decide that you want more tomatoes and you don't want like greens or something like that right because we've gotten so like weirdly skewed with what people eat because we just we treat everything like candy like we don't actually like think about what actually grows near you or like what's nu- nutritious and so it's like like do we swear on this podcast is that a thing do you believe yeah, yeah. I don't know. yeah so this is the thing like my exact philosophy on life is fuck the consumer like <laughs> <laughs> you're not the one out there growing the damned food like if you think that you want tomatoes and you don't want to eat vegetables, like, you're a toddler. Like, shut up, right? Like, this is the thing. There are so many people out there that are willing to, like, actually provide a way of life for another human being and eat what comes out of the ground. Like, I will fire every single customer that, like, is, like, wants this to be convenient. Go to the supermarket. Just do Whole Foods and pat yourself on the back uh, and, and think that you're making the world a better place, even though you're not. You know, this is not a system to try to pander to stupid consumers. The thing is, is that... I absolutely think that the transaction process should be easy. It should be transparent. You should be able to find food super easily. It should be predictable, but it's not Disneyland, right? Like this is not like you get to decide what farmers grow. Like the farmer grows what grows, right? Like, and and that food is tasty. And uh, yes, there are tomatoes. There are amazing tomatoes. There are also leeks. If you've never had a leek, you should probably try a leek. They're delicious. Try them with eggs. So like our thing is we're not going to tell the farmer what to do. And in many cases, like the farmer's already have a system right like so like when i pick up my uh, csa share 
sometimes it's in someone's garage in like the neighborhood, right? Because the farmer comes and they bring their truck and then the people come and pick up all the baskets. Who am I to dictate that, right? The farmer figures out what works. And so for us, you know, we're not, we're explicitly not offering a delivery service because we want the people to interact with their community. If the farmer wants to deliver, they can organize that. We totally allow them to do it on the platform. We're not like going to ban people, right? Like I think a more libertarian kind of like view, view of this, or as the book Nudge calls it, libertarian paternalism. I'm going to let you do whatever you want. I'm just going to make the thing that I think is better, like the most convenient choice, right? And so some of our farms like do deliver in some cases, and some of them just do pick up where you have to go to the farm and like actually meet them and like pet their dog. Like it's lovely, actually. And so I think that that's like that, again, like that community aspect is so important. And it's really the reason that a lot of people do it. And like, once you actually enter into it, like I have a friend who's a a school teacher that's splitting a share with like another teacher, and they wanted to get local food, they didn't know how to do it, they've made it really convenient and predictable. And so they bought a share with another person. And they took turns driving down to the farm every weekend to go pick up the share. And I asked, I was like, how was it? Like, what did you think of like the experience? And they're like, I ended up staying for like an hour and a half talking to Sam, Sam's the farmer or whatever, and like learn about his family and like what the land means to him and like all of this or whatever, to the degree that they started like kind of like, no, 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 I'll go do it this week. You can do it next week or whatever. I know you're busy, right? Like you wanted to go down because just like such a nice way to like start a Saturday morning, right? And like, like, oh, I called my parents on like the drive down to tell them about it and stuff like that. And there's just so much life in there. Like we're so obsessed, right? With like the screens and, and all of the work and all of these things. You go and do something like that, like going to meet your farmer on Saturday morning to get your vegetables for the week. It's like the most wholesome thing I could possibly imagine. There's something about the US that makes it so individualist that you're entitled. Yes. You're so freaking entitled oh. to having the food that you want when you want. And few people actually love cooking. Like they like cooking, but they have to cook because it's the healthy way of living. But like, yes. what's the real passion behind cooking and really knowing the process behind where your food comes from and also slowing down a little bit because now we're so used to being productive 24-7 and then you feel guilty if you don't have time for yourself to chat with your yes. neighbor and we also grow into this superficial weird type of relationship where you're friends but you're not really friends you're talking but you're not really talking let's so do a whole podcast on that yeah, yeah we've, we've lost that and also the thing about Europe is that you use those social time where you eat for, to socialize yes. really and to build very special and deep bonds which I couldn't find in the States because in the States you could just like eat in your car and that's fine you have yeah, to eat drives in and you can eat in your car like you go to a you're restaurant app- you're applauded for eating while you're working like that's like it's yeah. so bad everybody eats at their desk and it's so sad like you don't even get exercise you don't even walk to the cafeteria that's it <laughs> no it's so true right like and gosh well, we will do a whole podcast on my my thoughts about <laughs> work and uh, and just the, the proxy it is for most people of like living a real life no wonder they think the time moves quickly uh, I digress but you're, you're right right like this is the thing is people are so far removed and so used to this like instantaneous like instantaneous expectations I do find it remarkable when you actually get somebody in front of a farmer you get them to like go and like volunteer volunteer a day to go plant garlic or something like that like how into it they get like they're like man this is like real life fantasy camp i'm like no it's just like real life like oh yeah and it takes time but like it brings you happiness while giving time happiness and if you go to the grocery store it might be faster but like you wait online are you necessarily happier getting something that okay that you're gonna like okay because this is what i've learned from habits is that you buy something because you're habituated with how it tastes not because you enjoy it and when people ask you okay do you actually enjoy the coffee that you buy they're like not so much and so we're like why do you keep buying it they're like 
I'm just used to it. So they don't even question themselves the routine that they get into because they're born in it. So yes. it's normal because your neighbor does it. Your neighbor's neighbor does it. So it's normal that I do it. Well, and we've we've had this like shifting baseline syndrome too, right? Where like... <laughs> I always like I have this like idea that I've been like rolling around which is that like luxury is just like what like your idea of like what is like luxury is is like whatever was like scarce like to your parents like basically right like that generation and so uh, you get these like really weird uh, values that like don't actually like align with who people care about so like my uh, case in point right is like to our uh, the boomer generation or whatever right like this like weird industrialized version of like venience is like the ultimate like luxury because to like their parents like things like food were like hard right so like the idea of like having a tv dinner that's like inexpensive that's the most important thing right is like it's inexpensive and it's fast and convenient and we got all this time back right like like and but it's it's not time to like invest in yourself it's not time to have more experiences it's time to consume more because there was such a scarcity of like consumption in like their parents generation that like their ultimate version of like luxury is like con- being a consumer essentially right and then you have like our generation which is like okay like or there wasn't like a scarcity of consumption necessarily in the same way right and so for us like then our parents were like oh man we're gonna go like on like a vacation like the scarce thing right is like experience like you don't have any experiences especially you grew up like midwest like live in a bunch of cornfields right vacation was moving was going one state the other direction or going to florida Woof. uh and so for us now like our ultimate thing is we're like oh i don't need things i want experiences right uh like our, our ultimate thing because experiences were the scarce thing like when we were kids like because that's not a thing that existed like in our parents world and so uh, i realized that the thing that is like scarce like to us like now is is like actually like authentic <laughs> like human connection and like i see like the next like generation or whatever like the people like slightly younger than us like there's like already i feel like a shift where like the luxury thing is like doing real life again like we've come like round full circle uh where like we want to do the stuff that like our grandparents parents or whatever like did like on the farm (laughs) because like actually doing a real tangible thing now uh, is novel yeah but it's about doing things with purpose i think you're right back then did it out of necessity and because you have to do it you have no choice but to cultivate your vegetables and now it's like we're doing it (laughs) because I think with time also growing to respect the land and nature a lot more like when you look at all the organizations protecting the planet and talking about climate change it's something that we haven't really talked about before because it was not such a problem and also because the priority it was not necessarily there we had so many things to do so many wars so many famine issues to take care about and now that we're protecting the land and what we see value in the, oh you should not deforest all the trees and you should like protect um uh, the pesticide regulation a little more so I think there's a bigger awareness and increasing attention towards the land whereas like in eastern culture which I I really I highly respect especially like in Japan really thinking the planet you're thanking your home you're thanking objects as they're helpful to you like they somewhat have a soul and they're not here to serve you they're here as part of you like we're all living together and we're all trying to respect each other including things that are not living I've been reading, I've been reading fiction again, which is, which is like delightful. I went like a long spell of like not reading fiction. And uh, I like, so there's a, there's a, uh, a, a fantasy series that like I'm into by like Brandon Sanderson. And he, he does like the magic with rules thing. And all it really is, is it ends up being like a commentary on like how to structure the world because whatever the magic is like in the series is highly connected actually to the monetary system. And so all that to say is there's, 
there's like this principle in one of the books that I'm reading that I've been like thinking about a lot, which is like power makes one fit to serve, not it doesn't make like one fit to essentially like lead in the sense of, of exert one's will over another person. It actually makes you fit to, to serve that, which is something that I have like internalized and not found like words for, which is like that, that feels like the, like the responsibility, right? Like as we gain more ability and technology and knowledge and like all of this, that makes us not more fit to exert our will like over the world. It makes us more fit to like serve it. Hmm, serving the world as in we're boring that land. And we don't own it. Yes. And yes. I think, like, I have read this. I don't remember which book it was, like, whichever racist book or whichever <laughs> racist book that I was reading. <laughs> it's something so manic about white people that they always colonize. They always think about the land as something they should acquire. But unlike other civilizations, they don't take property and they don't, like, hold on to it so tightly as white people. Because, like, land means money and land means wealth. And it's going to be true because we're heading towards overpopulation so like if you have land then you probably have like biggest luxury and years so it's interesting how we view that because it has to do with uh, how we treat our food since it comes from the land if we think we own it that it can serve us whereas like you were saying we don't dictate what we eat we eat what the earth gives us not that we decide to plant potatoes or in the summer and then we decide to plant i don't know whatever flower in the winter so we do have come the grass and with the scientific knowledge of making it happen but then we have the ethical issue of should we do it so we we, we expanded our garden at the house here uh, last summer and uh, tried to plant a whole bunch of tomatoes and i planted a whole bunch of squash and the squash i just like threw all the seeds on the ground and then threw dirt over top of it and then the tomatoes i was like much more careful and everything and then i realized like oh man like the the, the, I need to put like a tarp like over top of the tomatoes because it's too cold at night, right? I gotta like heat them up. So I did that, and then I told you a story about how we got a snow too early because the tomatoes take like a certain amount of time before they produce the fruit, and then it's just all at once, man. Like I hope you know how to can, right? So I had to run out. I bought electric blankets and stuck them in with the tomatoes and put the the tarps over top of them and ran them all night and let the snow come on top to like help insulate it, and save the plants. Meanwhile, the squash just like sat there and made squash for months, and like I was giving away, right? As anybody who's tried to grow squash knows. I'm sitting there and it, just, it dawns on me one day, tomatoes aren't really supposed to grow here. <laughs> the reason this is so hard is because it's it's like wrong. Like, I don't think that people should not grow tomatoes here. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think like us figuring out that you could dig a hole and stick a tarp over the top of it and that like makes tomatoes possible. That's like pretty, pretty good, like low effort technology that I think like generates like a huge yield. I think it's fantastic. People should absolutely do it. Um, but, it but it made me realize that like... Do you see, do you see that's why I had to introduce you as an engineer at the beginning of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> it's literally that. It's out there I'm like... Oh, run 10 feet of extension cable over to here and then gotta make sure it gets along without the electric shut off yeah no it's literally this is it. worth a youtube video it's gonna make you rich <laughs> <laughs> so somebody can illustrate this nonsense but it made me realize like the only reason that i think that this is hard is that i'm trying to like defy nature essentially and here's the thing i think we should do that like we definitely when we build dams or we like harness solar energy we're like defying nature like a little bit right like and i think that that that's terrific like that is welcome to society but we shouldn't be surprised when it's hard <laughs> and, and i think that's like my my overall thought is like even me right like having like grown like food and being close to farmers or whatever still got duped right like got frustrated that this was so hard when i was like literally just trying to reverse entropy almost Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, when I took my first biology class at university, I remembered having heard that, you know, sometimes it snows in Florida. It's rare, but it happens. Yeah, and it just snowed in Texas. 
Yeah, <laughs> like people have engineered uh, genetically so that they would resist the snow and they wouldn't freeze. Yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that that could work. But like, are you thinking about down the road, long term? So if those strawberries tend to, you know, obviously like we're controlling them, and what if those seeds spread out to nature? Like, what are the damages that could cause unintended consequences? Yeah. Like you have to think about it. And same thing for the dam. Like it's amazing right now, but like, what is that going to do to the ecosystem? Like, are we thinking mm-hmm. around the road and not just about today's money? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right. We we try to solve problems oftentimes by like fixing the bottom line. When like fixing the top line just solves it forever. So like my my case in point on this is generating electricity, right? And then like how we use electricity in our homes. There is this like huge thing about like you just need to use less electricity and that is being responsible and it will fix things and the short answer is oh my gosh no it won't right like this is like how the majority of people's budgets work it's like i don't make enough money well instead of raising the minimum wage you should spend less money right and like that will work like two percent like there's no way to spend half as much money there is no way to use half as much energy it's not going to happen like i will not, I, like i'm not going to unplug my refrigerator like this is not a real thing right I'm so like stop taking showers every day you know <laughs> yes, i knew i knew someone once upon a time who was like oh to save water we're just gonna like bathe our kid less and i'm like that is so asinine first of all that's like five cents of money second of all like can we not see like the insanity in trying to solve this problem from like the bottom line right the top line solution is if you just generate all the electricity from the sun you don't have to care about how much electricity you use because the thing is is that you as an individual person aren't going to use a hundred times as much electricity you're probably going to use 10 percent more electricity if you doing air quotes again waste it right and the thing is is that if like the net thing is like we're pulling energy out of the sun right like your worst case scenario is what if we're just like actually diminishing the amount of like solar radiation on the earth first of all like if that's going to do anything it's going to slightly like fix like just ignore entropy for like a second and just imagine that that fixes global warming the answer is is that it's just net neutral like if all that just gets burnt you've just done the exact same thing right there's no actual loss so it's it's literally like capturing solar is like a dam for solar energy right like you're capturing it and releasing it later mm-hmm. that's have a whole heard, mind trip yeah go on have you heard about the controversy about solar panels so i've heard this from somebody who was selling solar panels uh, as a job okay. he was telling me look there's a huge scam because it's engineered so that you would make up the price, like you would break even the price of solar panels after 15 years, but that thing will break in 10. So you're going to buy a new one. Well, so so the thing is, is regardless of our intentions, like capitalism is the game, right? And so like, if I want to make everybody, let's say, convert to solar energy, let's say that's a good goal, right? Like don't use fossil fuel values. I can either try to do it with policy, that will fail for like a million reasons or be way too slow. The other solution is if I just make it cheaper, even if you're an asshole, you'll still do it, right? Like even if you just like hate the planet, like you, you probably just care about more money slightly more than that and you'll just switch it. Case in point is like all these like redneck in the, in the United States or whatever that are like very obsessed with like having diesel powered like trucks and things like this, right? Like like there are many cases like right now, like that's a totally appropriate choice. Like you can't haul things like long distances with like electric batteries and like tra- charge them quick enough. Like it makes total sense. The thing is, is that people expect that they're not going to like switch to like electric eventually. Yes, they will. Like it'll just be cheaper. Like if I tell you that you can spend half as much money on this thing, it'll be stronger, faster, more reliable, 
and cheaper, like that will win every time. Like this is this is actually the thing, right? Like if I want to change the world, like this is like the Elon Musk strategy, right? Like instead of trying to get you to switch over to like electric cars, you'll make the world a better place. I'll just make a better car and then you'll just switch because it's a better car, right? Like and I think that the, the whole solar panel thing, right? Like are there probably some shady companies that are like trying to engineer like panels so that the break even point is like before you have to replace it? Right, like in the same way that people do that with dishwashers and cars and like literally every consumer product, right? Like that is actually a problem with every consumer product. There's nothing to do with solar panels. But the thing is, is that the second somebody comes along and sells for like one dollar cheaper, like the thing that'll actually last twenty years, everybody just buys that and the other guy's out of business. So it's like there is like a there is room, especially early on, for somebody to like exploit certain things in the same way that people exploit people uh, all the time. But in the end, like if you can legitimately provide a better solution, it just squashes the exploiters eventually. I think we have to be educated enough to make the change happen because yes. I've had this discussion a lot about something so simple as in well that you know the electric uh, lines. Um, yes. So those power lines, yeah, yeah. yeah the power lines, yes. Those should be buried. Do we agree? Yeah. Yes. For the yeah. purposes, for the view and also it causes less accident, especially in old areas like Canada where we get a lot of snow and yeah. it might be problematic. And we've been talking decades about burning the power lines. It's just that people think that it's not happening, it creates too many jobs to maintain those power lines and people know how to do that and it takes a lot of time to uh, to invest in the construction of digging it and in the long term it's going to be more beneficial but like in the short term people don't think that they have the money or that they don't have this priority. Yeah. This, this is, this is going to happen exactly like coal plants, right? So coal plants, bad idea, poisons everyone. They're just dirty and terrible. And then like, you know, it's like, huh? Political? Coal, coal. We burn, we burn like, oh, coal uh, plants. yeah, 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 yeah. I thought so, you meant plants. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Coal power generation. Yes. Uh, and, and like the, the thing is like with coal power generation is like people are like, oh, we need to create like political policy to shut down the coal plants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, we've been trying to do that forever. You know what's going to happen first? Exactly what's happening now. In the state of Colorado, it is cheaper to put up new solar energy than to maintain existing coal plants, than to maintain them. So that literally it would be cheaper to put a solar panel out in the middle of, like, this barren wasteland to the east of Colorado Springs than to literally send people in to go work at that coal plant. You could shutter the building cheaper than, than than maintaining. Like, and so this is the thing: is that if you actually look at the rates of like how fast solar technology is actually advancing, like it's it's something like so. I, I was in college in like in like 2010. Like a bunch of studies came out. And I remember seeing my civil engineering classes and were like, like actually one of my my projects that I had to do for school was like a wind turbine thing, right? So we got all these wind turbines because we're like solar is 30 years out. Like it's not happening uh, anytime soon. So we spent all this money on the infrastructure for like wind. Turns out like we beat all of our 30-year goals in like five years like solar is moving so quickly that like every time we set new goals we just keep beating them like in a third of the time that we thought it was going to take to the degree that like if you actually look at any of the research for like the cost per kilowatt and like there's a map right so this is the way this works is there's like a line that's like roughly related to latitude for like where is the break-even point on maintenance and then new energy and those two things just keep sliding up in the united states colorado is obviously clearly past the maintenance line like it was cheaper to do solar than literally anything else like a couple of years ago that line is moving so fast that we're not gonna have to care about like infrastructure like that like the power lines before you get some jackass to bury that power line people are going to be generating electricity locally <laughs> like to the degree that like we're not going to have a use for the power line 
Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not a crazy, right? Like, we will definitely have a use for the power lines, and that'll continue to be a thing. But, like, generating electricity at, like, the municipal level, or the neighborhood level, or the individual home level, is going to be so cheap and readily available that there's no reason not to do it, right? You put solar panels over the top of your roof, it makes your, your shingles last, like, way longer, by the way. Um, or you can, you know, get rid of them altogether. But, like, it, it, it is just one of those things where it's moving so fast that, like, I just don't even care about things like burying power lines anymore because they're going to be obsolete before I can actually get anybody to do a damn thing about it. That is so interesting. How long do you think that is going to happen for developing countries, for example? In developing countries, it's even faster. It's like India right now. It's like, it's because the thing is, their electricity is like very expensive in developing countries. Like it just is. And so solar, if I can just like literally take a solar panel and make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and then just deliver it, plop it on the ground, like that's your installation, right? It's not like the infrastructure for building a wind turbine is insane. Like the most expensive part of building a wind turbine is building the road to literally get the pieces there because it's so heavy, it'll destroy the road. So like my engineering exercise in school is how do I design the road system to get the pieces of the turbine to the actual site so they can erect it? Which is why when you see turbines, you don't see one turbine, you see 200, because the expensive part was all the roads. Hmm. But for solar, you just show up with a solar panel and like flop it down on the ground and it starts generating electricity. That's it. Like, you could do it anywhere. Anywhere the sun shines, which is the entire Earth crack. Are you investing in solar panels right now? Like, no, I, I don't. I mean, here's the, here's the thing, right? Like, uh, if I had a bunch of money, I guess I would. I'm not at that, like, stage of life yet. <laughs> I'm just investing in my own thing at the moment. But, like, solar is just so such an obvious no-brainer from, like, an engineer's perspective. And then, like, I'm literally just watching it happen. Like, if you do a solar estimate in Colorado, the panels are so efficient now that it's, like, how much of my roof do I need to cover to, like, generate all my, like, it's like a 30-year roof. Like, it's, like, not even, like, your entire roof, right? Like, which is, like, your, your break-even point. I can cover my whole roof and generate all the electricity that I need year-round. Like, I win the game. But, like, here it's like you just gotta cover like a third of it mm -hmm. and for cold areas like canada or like um, not even cold but like you know uh cloudy areas like Paris. yeah and the winter is the hard part right so like michigan is like a place near and dear to my heart i've done like the solar calculations on it and the fact is right you're so far north that in the summer you generate six times as much electricity as you do in the winter so it's like what do we do right because if i have to have six times the number of solar panels to hit my minimum like what do i do with all this electricity in the summer right and that, that, i mean the, the, the short answer is right like is energy storage is like a thing and the further north you get the more you have to like do it at probably like the municipal level you can rely on things like hydro uh generated electricity um, wind is getting really interesting there's a lot of that like alternative turbine things that they don't all have to look like giant like windmills there are like a lot of options that you can do to like supplement to where it's like okay maybe all i need to build is like three times as many and then it'll get so efficient that like it'll be like half of that in so many like years or whatever or it'll be so cheap we just don't care right like that's the other anywhere you park cars you should just cover them in solar panels like i can't understand why that's not the correct solution right like we do we do this we build things through. like the premium parking is the one where your car doesn't get like rain and snow on it creates the vehicle to solar panels above it. But Do you mean solar panel on the roof of the car? No, I mean the parking lots was covered with solar panel. It makes the parking lot last longer. Like parking lot, like picture asphalt. Uh -huh. And then and then you build a roof on top of it, right? Like like you do sometimes like parking at like apartments. Oh, so you're thinking horizontal. You're not thinking about like um yes, yes, multiple yes, yes, story yes. building. What would you get what you could do? I just mean like we have so much park in North America, like we just we have more parking spaces than cars, obviously. It's like three times as many or something. 
bananas. So the thing is, it's like if you just need a place to build a solar panel, stick it over top of a parking lot because it makes the parking lot and the vehicles like last longer because they don't get beat by like rain, hail, snow, your elemental calamity, uh, and you just you generate have to power. Those solar panels, those will get yeah. the hail, rain, and the snow. Well, that happens no matter where you do it. That's part of being outside, but that's an engineering problem. Yeah, they can like heat themselves up so like the the snow melts. You don't have to unstow everything. You don't have to shovel. Well, yeah, it's a, it's actually true. There's a, a decent amount of like heat generation that happens underneath uh, that would probably be efficient. A good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also we deviated a lot from the fan. yeah it's, it's not so it's not so dissimilar right like I mean this is the yeah. thing is that the thing with life is we're just we're just literally trying to just do smart things right like it is absurd to try to tell farmers like how they have to grow food for people because if you miss the community part like you're just missing the point of food right and so to create a free marketplace for farmers where people can just come and like find and cross pollinate across farms and have the option of local food it's like this is like the demand there right like i don't want, like i don't think that everybody needs to do this but all the people that want to really ought to be able to do it <laughs> and i think it should also be complementary with a different type of education so if you can yeah. teach people or kids or students at a community college or any city how important it is to respect the food that you eat and also to slow down and to make sure that eating is part of your health like people see it as a as something that they take for granted because it's so easy i don't know like it reminds me uh by the way this is a, a little far-fetched but do you remember the ads for microwaves back then in the 70s and how it was addressed to housewives like hey you don't have to cook anymore you can just warm up and in two minutes you have a meal ready so we have this mentality of things fast and I think we need to switch that because it's not healthy to not take breaks and then you, you get your brain so used to being all the time working that you don't take the time to connect with people to digest your food to also make sure that you taste the ingredients and it's not just there as calories to fill you up because yes. then it becomes a nation of being obsessed with weight and you don't enjoy the good thing and it's it's part of your five senses you know to enjoy the texture the color the temperature of food perhaps the topic of our next podcast is going to be our philosophy on which things are important to abstract and which things are not important to abstract because i think that the majority of culture has been pushed into prioritizing things totally ass backwards because the thing is is that there are some things that i think should absolutely be abstracted and removed from my life and i should never think about them ever again ever and there are other things that i want to do as like manually and slowly and immersively as possible and i and i think understanding the difference between those two things and trying to architect your life in a way that represents those values is a really interesting luxury that i think more people have than they realize yeah and i think we associate this luxury with being rich because when you have a lot of money then you have time to do all sorts of things just like when you look at people who volunteer in farms or at prisons or in schools they're not like you average middle class they're usually people who have the luxury to have time to dedicate to other people and to care about those higher values and i mean on the other side you also have uh, people who have served community service so you have like sort of two extremes but when i did volunteer i was in a place of my life where money was not an issue and honestly i could like i, I could not need that two hours of my life so i could give it to somebody else so it's also freeing up my time and my brain energy to give it to other people there's a there's a a phrase uh, that I encountered in the last week called time affluence. And I think that that's it, right? We think of affluence as, as money, but really it's a proxy for time, which gets into more of my thoughts about money and utility. It is the prime currency. Time is the prime currency. Yes, hence the movie Time Out with Justin Timberlake. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old, come on. That doesn't mean that, I, that I'm in a Justin Timberlake. I could, I could be any age you want. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, nice. Matthew, do you happen to have a last piece of advice for our listeners? 
I would say that the things that you do every day largely influence what your life is about. And my encouragement would be to be as intentional as possible with the things that you do every day. Is that the same advice you gave for the first episode? I have no idea. It might be. Maybe I only only have one piece of advice, and every episode is going to be a different facet of that. I I don't know. (laughs) It's just synesthesia. Does that have a different flavor? (laughs) What's up with that? Okay, thank you so much for for being on this podcast. Really love the conversation, and I hope it's going to inspire people to maybe switch their lifestyle or reconsider the educational. They also eat every day. That's right. And if you know a farmer, you can send them my way. We'll we'll hook them up. Yes, people, I will put the link on the description below, so make sure to go check it out. (laughs) All right. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Monsters. I hope you liked it. If you'd like to take a French lesson with me, don't hesitate to go on the Education Monsters website to book a class. I'll be super happy to get to know you and we can practice languages together. Don't forget to subscribe to the website and you'll get a notification when a new blog article comes out. Last but not least, please, please, please consider making a donation to my Patreon account. This education project means so much to me and I'll greatly appreciate it if I can have your support. Thanks again and I'll see you for the next episode on Thursday.